raise up for you a prophet like me from among your fellow Israelites. And you must listen to that prophet. For, is this, for this is what you yourselves requested of the Lord your God when you were assembled at Mount Sinai. You beg that you might never again have to listen to the voice of the Lord your God or see this blazing fire for fear you would die. Then the Lord said to me, Fine, I will do as they have requested. I will raise up a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites. I will tell that prophet what to say, and he will tell the people everything I have commanded him. I will personally deal with anyone who will not listen to the messages the prophet proclaims on my behalf. In the beginning, the word already existed. He was with God, and he was God. He was in the beginning with God. He created everything there is. Nothing exists that he didn't make. Life itself was in him, and this life gives light to everyone. The light shines through the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was going to come into the world. But although the world was made through him, the world didn't recognize him when he came. Even in his own land and among his own people, he was not accepted. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn. This is not a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan. This rebirth comes from God. So the word became human and lived here on earth among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the only Son of the Father. Thanks, Jackie. Malcolm, is all right if I use the stand here? Oh, yeah, he says. Oh, yeah. Are you an easily offended person? Or are you one of those people that things just don't seem to bother you? You don't have to answer out loud. Are you one of those Teflon personalities where nothing seems to stick? Or are you the kind of person that's maybe a little more sensitive to what others might say or think or, or do? Well, whether you're the touchy type or the thicker-skinned type, I, I think we all have a threshold, don't we? We all have a limit. We have sore spots or no-go zones. And if someone gets in there, someone says something, someone points something out, we get offended. I think we probably all have that. So, so let me ask you, you've already had the little teaser earlier. What would it take for Jesus to offend you? It, again, don't, don't answer that one out loud. <laughs> what would it take for Jesus to offend you? What would it take, what would Jesus have to say for you to write him off? Tell him to go away. What would Jesus have to imply for you to dismiss his teachings as foolish or impractical? Come on. What would Jesus have to do to make you mistrust his motives? What would it take for Jesus to offend you? Have you ever asked that question? I don't think I ever have. You know, would Jesus have to poke around in your motives? Does that offend you? Would Jesus have to talk to you about maybe ending that relationship that isn't right? Would Jesus offend you if he suddenly suggested? You know how he does the suggesting, right? Usually you're reading the Bible or, or, or maybe a Christian friend mentions it. I mean, it's not like he speaks directly from the sky. It's usually through your Bible reading or 
from a conversation with a Christian friend that Jesus gets our attention. I just wanted to point that out as we go through this. But maybe Jesus would offend you if he suggested that you've been taking an easy, comfortable path in following him. That you've been sidestepping real love. And that you need to maybe take your discipleship to a whole new level of personal sacrifice. That That might get offensive. What if he challenged you to go and make things right with that family you've been secretly avoiding? Would Jesus offend you if he started to ask you to give up something precious, something important to you, something you depend on, something you think you can't live without? What if he confronted you on your addiction to pleasing other people more than pleasing him? What if Jesus began peeling back the layers of self-righteousness that have been wrapped so tightly around your heart that your love for others is just being choked out? Would you get offended then? What if he delved deep into your private thoughts about other people? The way that you judge them, disdain them, look down on them. What if he claimed authority over your daily words or your daily activities? What would it take for Jesus to offend you? That's our question for today because the Mark story that we're going to look at explores people getting offended by Jesus. And not the people you'd think would get offended. In fact, the very people you'd least expect him to offend, his closest acquaintances, his friends, his family, get completely ripped at Jesus in this story today. And if he offends people in his own hometown crowd, then you know his own brothers and sisters and mom get offended by him, then what's the chances that he's eventually going to offend you, me, <laughs> I'm thinking pretty good, actually. So I have to ask the question, what would it take for Jesus to offend me? Well, let's dive into today's story and see where it leads us. It's in Mark chapter 6, the first few verses. Starting verse 1, going through the first half of of, of verse 6. Jesus left there. Remember the story we heard last week about Jairus? He's down by the shore. Maybe he was in Capernaum, we're not sure. But he left there and he went to his hometown, which would be Nazareth. He was accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Now, if you've been tracking along with us in Mark, uh, this could almost feel like deja vu. Like, I've heard this story before, and you have. Because guess what? Back, way back, way back in like September, but back in Mark chapter 1, this is kind of what Jesus did in the synagogue in Capernaum. He went in and taught in the synagogue and people were amazed at his teaching. And remember what they were amazed about? They were amazed because he taught as someone who had authority. Not as their regular teachers. Not as the regular guys who taught about the law. He taught them with authority. And this is very important to remember. Jesus, he didn't teach like the other rabbis did. He, He taught, but when he taught, he didn't back up his interpretations with footnotes. You know? He... He didn't, he didn't appeal to former rabbis or former teachers or schools of thought to support, to support his point of view. He just simply said it. This is what God meant when he gave Moses this law. Period. Or, this is what the scripture means for us today. Period. And they keep expecting him to back it up. And he doesn't back it up. He says it as though he authored the book himself which is kind of the connection with the authority. A regular teacher of the law would never do that. They'd never dare. 
Jesus is this living Word of God and He had come to them. He'd come among us to, to reveal what this written Word actually meant because, well, He was the one who wrote it. And that's authority. And that's what amazed this crowd in this first synagogue encounter back in chapter 1. People were amazed by it. And their amazement led them to tell others about Jesus and so that news spread quickly throughout the land about Jesus. That's where their amaze led them. But not with this crew. The people in today's story, they're amazed by Jesus' teaching too. But not in a happy way. It's more in an astounded, dumbfounded, slapped you across the face kind of amazed. Kind of a like, how would you dare? I can't believe you would say such a thing kind of amazed. That's the kind of amaze that's going on here. And instead of moving toward Jesus to learn more, instead of allowing that confusion or that question to, 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 to open them up and say, Jesus, what do you mean? They're offended by him. They turn away from him. Preaching to the home crowd, including his own family, does not go over very well. And as it's so often the case, those who are offended go on the offensive and they begin to attack Jesus' authority. They attack his teaching. They attack his, his miracles, his actions. They, they attach, attack his legitimacy. And because of their cynical rejection of Jesus, he can't do anything for them. There's nothing really he can do for them. Let's look at these questions. These are just some rapid-fire questions that Jesus was asked, that they used to attack Jesus. And I'm just walking through the text. We're going to look through every word of this story today, every line of this story today. Just walking through the story as it's found in Mark chapter 6. So the first question they ask him, they're amazed at his teaching, and then they say, where did this man get these things? Where did he get these things? They, they, hearing what Jesus is saying, hearing what he's been teaching, they immediately attack his authority, or maybe more accurately, the source of his authority. You know, where did you pick that up? How can you say such a thing? Where do you get off? That, that's, the, that's the tone here as they question Jesus. Jesus has been teaching about the kingdom of God. He's been telling them what the kingdom of God is like. He's been inviting them to follow him in this new movement that God has initiated through him. Maybe Jesus had been sharing with his hometown all that had been happening. I don't know. But he's certainly trying to help people catch a vision for what God is doing, what God wants to do in their nation, what God wants to do in their lives for this whole new kingdom life. And in this teaching, Jesus is claiming authority over their lives, claiming authority over their nation, claiming authority over their future. And they don't like it. They don't like what he's saying. They don't like what it means. And so, rather than come to grips with that, rather than come under his good authority, they simply attack the source of it. You can hear the derision in their voices. It's like, where'd you get that from? Who gives you the right, Jesus, to speak this way? Who gives you the right to say that about us? Who gave you the authority to, to try to lead us? That's, that's the question. They attack his authority. The next question they move on, they say, What's this wisdom that has been given him? They move directly to the content of his teaching. Hearing what Jesus has been saying, hearing the kind of life he's describing, the, the, kind, of, the kind of call that's being put out as he teaches about the kingdom of God, they don't want it. So they question his wisdom, which to the Jewish people isn't just common sense. It's not like he's a really smart guy. But rather, it's a, it's a wisdom understood as that God has given some kind of special revelation to someone, like a prophet. That this wisdom has come because of a special revelation from God, but they weren't they aren't, they aren't having any of it. And so this wisdom kind of rolls off their lips in a nasty, sarcastic, mocking way. You know, what is this wisdom? 
Having rejected his authority, they're not willing to come under his teaching. They do not want to receive what he has to say. And what are you, some kind of prophet from God? And notice, they don't try to refute his teaching. They don't, they don't take him to task on points. They're not asking questions about it. They're simply writing him off with a derisive question, a cynical question. They're not seeking truth. They're not seeking understand, understanding. They're just sarcastically dismissing it. But they go on. That's just the second question. The third question, they say, what are these remarkable miracles he's performing? You see the progression? They've, they're trying to discredit Jesus, so they're moving from his authority to his uh, content and now to his actions. You know, his authority to what he's been saying and now what he's been doing. And this is quite remarkable because everyone knew. I mean, what are the stories people are hearing about Jesus? Remarkable is right. I mean, people have been healed. People have been long oppressed, have been freed. Lepers have been cleansed. This is amazing stuff that's happening. And everyone knows that this Jesus is a good healer. That good stuff happens when Jesus comes into town. That he's making a tremendous difference in people's lives. But you know what? When you've decided to play the cynic, it doesn't matter what's, it doesn't matter what's in front of you. When you've decided to say, you know, I, I can't trust it, I won't trust it, I refuse to listen... We're not going to let facts stand in the way. And these guys certainly didn't let facts stand in the way of a good denouncing of this Jesus character. So they tried to deconstruct his healings and and, and maybe suggesting that they're not as good as everyone would think. We've seen that kind of thing earlier, right? Remember earlier in the story, people started suggesting, some of the leaders started suggesting that maybe these miracles Jesus was doing, especially driving out demons, like maybe that really didn't come from God. Maybe that was sourced by the devil himself. I don't know if that's exactly what's going on here, but what we do see going on is a questioning of this Jesus, a questioning of his actions. I mean, what is this? Where did this come from? Putting his actions up on the the stand and judging them. Maybe questioning their validity or their goodness. Well, if you think that was bad, to question his authority or the content of his teaching or the the, actions, they, they they haven't even gotten personal yet. Now the knives come out. Now they go after his person, his background, his family. Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? The people who knew him best were not willing to accept who he really was. And so they call up his background in an attempt to discredit him. In an attempt to say, why would we listen to this guy? Don't we, don't we know who he is? Don't we remember who he is? Because, you know, it could have been just recently. Like, just last year, Jesus could have been at their house fixing a table. Right? It could have been just recently that he was a local laborer who walked by with a saw in his hand. And now he's here presuming to say that God is at work in him? That we should follow him? No way. We know who you are. Isn't this the carpenter? Come on, guys. Are we going to listen to him? And his immediate family might have had a hand in this. Because it's unlikely at this point that his brothers and sisters and mothers supported him. We already know from a story earlier that they think he's gone crazy. That he's gone off the deep end. And when they suggested it, he kind of didn't respond very well, right? We already know his family has real questions about what he's been doing. And what he's been saying. And in an honor-shame culture like this culture was, his actions, it's very likely that though there's many good things happening, some of his actions in particular are, are bringing his family into question. That they've been having to answer for him. You know, people have been saying, did you know what your son just did? 
Do you, do you realize what he's been saying? Do you realize he's forgiving people's sins? I mean, come on. Get your son in line, right? That's how shame on our culture works. Get your son in line. Go out and get him to come home. Settle him down. He's gone off the deep edge, which they tried to do and failed. So it's very likely that they've been hearing just Jesus out there confronting religious leaders, you know, calling people on their stuff, forgiving sins, cleansing lepers, this, this mix of things that have shown that this Jesus has really gone too far. They had a shame enough as a family. And it's likely that that next comment, isn't this the son of Mary, is kind of a slur on Jesus' questionable beginnings. You know, remember, Jesus was born, Nazareth is his hometown, but he was born far away in Bethlehem. And the, the talkers of the town maybe had never quite been able to match the dates between his birth and the betrothal and the marriage to that Joseph guy. Right? Never quite been able to add that all up. And so, in that culture, they, they use that against them. And there's other places in Scripture where it suggests that as well. That, that maybe Joseph never was the father after all. But he was such a good guy, he just kind of covered it over. So, come on. With all of that, do you really think this guy's a prophet? Do you really think this guy, is the kingdom of God is coming him? Seriously? And they refuse to believe it. They refuse to believe that he's the one that could redeem them. He's the one there to redeem Israel. Because how could he presume to tell us? I mean, us. You know, we taught him how to walk. Right? We, we, we grew up teaching the boys Sunday school, you understand. Or Sabbath school, I guess it would be. But you know what I'm saying? We grew up teaching him how to read. And he's telling us how to read the scripture. Who does he think he is? He's overreaching his station. He's gone too far, and we, were, we will have none of it. We won't believe it. And it very simply says, they took offense at him. That's where these questions led us. Right directly to, they were offended by him. Through a series of cynical questions, they tried to dismiss Jesus because they don't want to accept him for who he is. They don't want to accept what is obviously unfolding in front of them. They don't want to change their perception of him. They don't want to receive what Jesus is offering. They don't want to believe this kingdom message. and They can't really find a way to refute him. They can't really find holes in what he's saying. They, they can't really see ways in which his actions are actually bad. But because they're unwilling to accept him for who he is, they decide to just turn to cynicism, which is what people always turn to when they can't really figure out what else to say. Let's turn to cynicism. Just question, if you can't question what you can see, let's just question what you can't see. Let's assume that there's a bad source somewhere, or there's an ugly background, or there's a misplaced motives. And, and then we don't have to defend our questions at all. Just keep heaping on the questions with enough sarcasm that everyone around kind of agrees with you. Yeah, that's right. Who does he think he is anyway? How can he say that about us anyway? I mean, come on. This is Jesus we're talking about. I know his brother. He's a kind of a jerk. Right? Jesus had offended them. And so how did Jesus respond? I think with sadness. Jesus said to them, only in their own towns, among their relatives and in their own homes, are prophets without honor. The very people who should have been open to him were closed. The very people who should have trusted him refused to do so. The very family that should have been willing to listen just plugged their ears and hummed a tune because they didn't want to hear what he had to say. And what was the result? 
They couldn't receive from Jesus the good work of God that he had been doing in many other communities. They couldn't receive it. They couldn't receive the healing and the freedom. They they couldn't receive the kingdom of God among them. It says he couldn't do any miracles there, except lay hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. This is Jesus' turn to be amazed. And we learn an important principle in this that we need to apply to our lives, and that is this. That cynicism kills what Jesus wills. I like that little rhyme. So that you can remember it. Cynicism will cynicism kills what Jesus wills. Jesus would have done in their town, in their families, in his town, in his families, exactly what he'd been doing everywhere else. Healing the sick, inviting people into the kingdom of God, forgiving sins, releasing people who were captive to Satan's power, including people in his community who'd been left out in the cold by religious bigots. But he couldn't do it because they wouldn't let him. Their cynicism killed what Jesus willed. He wanted to do it. That's the heart of Jesus. He's good. But because they were cynical, because they said, no way we're having none of it, Jesus was helpless to do anything more than heal a few sick people. They were so deeply offended by Jesus. And there's a connection here between a lack of trust in Jesus and the work, the transformation, the healing in people's lives. And it's not, I know some of you have heard this message It's false. It's not this kind of idea that, well, the people there just didn't believe in healing the right way or they didn't have quite enough faith in Jesus. It's not that. It's that they said, we will not accept this man. We will not believe in him. We will not trust him. We are not open to what he's saying. We are not open to him. They set themselves against him. They refused to open themselves up to any possibility of relationship or trust with him. And in that kind of setting, among his own people, there was nothing he could do. He was shocked and amazed. Their cynicism had killed what Jesus longed to do in the lives of everyone. Well, what does this mean for us? I think we have to go back to that first question. What would it take for Jesus to offend you? What would it take for Jesus to offend you? What area of your life? You know, what, what relationship? What, what excuse that you've been constantly bringing up? What priorities? Would Jesus have to question in your life for you to get downright offended? What religious tradition or what cultural expectation or what deeply held belief would Jesus have to critique in order for you to turn away in disgust and say, you've gone too far. I am not willing to listen to that. I thought a lot about this question this week. Well, what what would it take for Jesus to offend me? What would it take for Jesus to offend us? It's a question that's been rolling around in me and I hope it rolls around in you a little longer. And, and I thought about it. You know, well, what, what does offend people? Coming out of these questions, I, I've identified a few things, but there's maybe more. Maybe you can think of what maybe would personally offend you or maybe what offends others. And remember as we have this talk, this is about insiders being offended. It would be very easy for us as a community to immediately imagine how outsiders would be offended by Jesus. When we read the Gospels, not very many outsiders were offended by Jesus. It was insiders. So I do believe this really challenges us as people who say, I'm following Jesus. If you're here today and you're not too sure, there still might be a fair bit of offense for you too. So what are some things that Jesus offends us by? I think a couple things, a few things. I think we get offended when Jesus claims authority over something we don't think he should. 
I think we get offended when Jesus, whether we're reading the scripture or we're discussing with the Christian or we're, we're, we're coming to understand that Jesus actually has authority over this area of my life, over this way of being, over this way of speaking or whatever it is. And we think, no, he shouldn't have authority over my finances. He shouldn't have authority over my sex life. You know, that's too far. He shouldn't have authority over what I think. He shouldn't have authority over my vocation or my job. Right? We, we can get offended by this Jesus who seems to claim authority over all of our lives. Jesus has the nerve, we would say, to tell us how to live our lives. And for many of us, we want to push back because that's offensive to us because we've been told from day one that you're the controller of your own destiny. That no one has the right to tell you what to do. Right? And then Jesus comes along and seems to think he has the right to tell me what to do and that offends me. And I think if we're all honest, there's times when that, that offends us, right? I think also when we're listening to him, another thing can offend us is we begin to realize that this is going to require, to listen to Jesus, to come under his teaching, is going to require some personal changes in my life, maybe some deeply painful changes in my life. And when I look down that road, I go, that kind of change, that's too much. And so, you know what we do with the teaching? We begin to imagine the ways in which that teaching is foolish or impractical. Come on, he didn't really mean that. We begin to try to evade it. We begin to say, that's not for me. And maybe when we really come to understand it, we do get offended by this suggestion that we should do this or follow Jesus in this way. Moving on, I I think we come to the motives, that we can get offended when we we don't trust that Jesus actually has our best interests in mind. Because maybe what he's asking us to do is so countercultural. It's so against what what we believed, what we thought was true, what we thought was right. It's so countercultural to that that we think, how can you even say that to me? Do you know what that would do to my life? Are you trying to destroy me? (laughs) Right? Sorry, Morgan, you're sitting right here, man. I just... (laughs) Teflon man here in the front. Right? And we begin to question the motives because we begin to detach maybe what Jesus has asked us to do from... And we forget that this is a really good king. This is a good God. And when he comes to us and asks us to make a change in our life that is painful, that may cause stress throughout relationships, that I might lose money over, that he's doing it because he loves us, because it's good. But it's at that point of pain and change that we can say, no way. He must be trying to destroy me. He must be trying to wreck my life. I'm not sure I can trust him. We can get offended by that too. And then I think when it comes right down to us, we can get offended because when it comes really down to the foundation of things, we don't really accept that this Jesus is the only way we will ever live with true freedom and life. We, 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 maybe we've even bought into the whole Jesus thing to some extent. We've, we've come, come to Jesus. We've even professed faith. But when, it really, when you really pull back the roots, we still think Jesus is just one option among many. And then if it gets too hard, maybe we can pick another option. But we don't really believe that he is the Son of God, that in him we see God the Father and his love for us and his desire for us and his desire for the world. And that it's only in Jesus, it's only as we follow him, that he is the only one who will truly bring deep 
transformation to our lives and to this world. He is the only one who will bring all of creation to its intended goal. He's the only one in whom we will experience life and freedom. But we aren't too sure we believe that. And so when push comes to shove, we get offended by the suggestion that Jesus is the only way to life. We question all the same things they questioned. We question his authority. We question his teaching. We question his, his actions. We even question his legitimacy. Same four questions his hometown crowd had. We can bring up. So where are we going to go with that today? Well, here's the challenge. And I, I don't know, maybe this is a question you have to scratch down and think about it over the next week. Maybe you're, maybe you're not able to go to this place here and now. I get that. But I want you to think, what is that place? What is that area? What is that spot where it would be likely, if Jesus were to say anything, it would offend you about that? What is that area in your life where Jesus either most offends you or has the most potential to offend you? Think about that relationship that you feel uncomfortable about. Think about that habit that you are practicing. Think about that self-righteous attitude that you carry Think about the very place that you most want Jesus to ignore. You know, you're kind of, it's the place you go, please, Jesus, don't notice this, don't notice this, don't notice this. Think about that place. I want you to consider this morning that it's at that very place. The very place where you're most likely to get offended. The very place that you most don't want Jesus to touch. That that's the very place that you most need Jesus to come and to heal you to come and transform you. Another way of putting it might be this, that the place of your greatest offense is your place, the place of your greatest need. The place of your greatest offense is your place of greatest need. Because we have to back up and remember what's true, right? Jesus is good. We can trust him. Jesus always, always, always uses his power to bring healing and transformation into people's lives. He doesn't use it to shame them. He doesn't use it to crush them. He's always got people's best interests in mind. And he's the Son of God who knows us intimately, who loves us deeply, who died and rose again for us. This is the Jesus we're talking about. So if there is an area of our lives that we feel offended by his teaching about or or his actions or his leadership, there's something out of whack between my heart and the heart of Jesus, then we have to trust that it's in that very place that Jesus needs to be. It's in that very place that Jesus needs to heal. It's in that very place that Jesus needs to lead if we're willing to let him do it. And that's the question. Are we willing to let him do it? Will we choose to trust him with with open hands? Or are we going to dismiss him with cynical questions? Everyone do that? Open hands? I mean, do it. (laughs) Open hands? Or cynical questions? I think we should say, I think there's something cathartic about that. Let's do it again. Open hands, say it. Open hands or cynical questions. That's really the two options. Are we going to choose to trust him with the open hands? Now, trusting him with open hands doesn't mean we don't have questions. It doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean we don't have doubts. It doesn't mean we don't have struggles. It, it doesn't mean we're just faking it or kind of covering over the, the, the struggles or the questions or the you know, feeling hypocritical. It's not that. It means that we've faced up to our fears 
And we're going to keep our faith in Jesus. We're going to keep asking him the question. We're going to keep coming back to him. We're going to keep allowing him to speak into our lives because he's a good king. He's a good healer. We're going to keep that relationship open because that's what trust does. We're going to keep learning. We're going to believe that there's still potential for God to do something radical in our lives, something beyond our imagination. But cynicism, cynicism shuts down the relationship. Cynicism says, I don't want to listen anymore. I've heard enough. I've made my decisions. Please go away. It kills what Jesus wills. And so, what will you choose today? Will you choose the kind of open-handed trust that says, Jesus, I'm going to trust you even when I'm struggling, even when I feel offended, even when, I, when I'm not sure that I can believe what you're trying to say to me, I'm going to trust that you're good and that you're leading. I'm going to keep coming back to you. Is that going to be your response today? Or are you going to say, no, Jesus, I won't. I can't. And that's the question, the option that we all have today. When we choose to trust, the opposite of what happened at the end of the story can happen in us. When we choose to trust that Jesus is who he is, that he longs to do among us what he's doing among others, when we choose to trust that Jesus is able to do in our marriages and in our hearts and in our identity and in our families, he's able to do in our church and in our valley what he longs to do in every single man, woman, and children's lives. To bring freedom and life, and healing, and transformation, if we're open to trust. If we're open to Him. Malcolm and the team are going to come and lead us in a final song called Good to Me. And as we do that, my invitation to you as we sing, is that if you're ready to take that step of saying, okay Jesus, there's an area in my life that I'm not sure I want you to touch, but I'm going to trust you. I invite you as we sing, you can do this in a really quiet way and no one will even notice. Just turn your hands up. Maybe on your lap. Maybe as you're standing, I don't know, maybe Malcolm will have us stand up. But however it is, to open up your hands to say, Jesus, I'm open to trusting you. I'm open to your leadership in my life. I want you to do in my life what you long to do. And I'm going to trust you to do it even in those places where I feel I'm afraid or I feel I could be offended. I'm going to trust in you because you are good to me. If, during this next song, you'd like to receive prayer, I'll be over there and you can come and receive prayer. And then after we've sung this song a bit, uh, you'll be free to go to coffee time, but also the team will continue to play if there's those who would like to hang around, maybe come up front, sing a little bit longer, and just uh, meditate on what God is challenging us to do. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that we would be open to you, to your leadership, knowing that you love us, that we would not choose cynicism, but that we'd choose trust. We love you, Lord, and we know that you love us. And so in those very places where we most often want to duck, we most often want to avoid, I pray, Jesus, that we'd be open to your leadership and your transformation. In your name we pray. Amen.